session with Dr. Farid Holaku. Good afternoon. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakui, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Again, our studio number 310-441-0555. The book of the week for this week is Disability Visibility which is edited by Alice Wong, Disability Visibility, First Person Stories from the 21st Century. And it's a collection of essays from different individuals with different disabilities sharing their stories, their experience. Uh, and it's edited by Alice Wong. I'm only uh, maybe 25, 30 pages into the book, but I, I had a I'm still actually reeling from it last night, what I read, which I'll share a little bit about. Uh, of course, the book I'll talk about in total on Monday's show next week. But so uh, two weeks ago, the book of the week was The Life You Can Save by Peter Singer, who is an Australian philosopher and known as one of the most important and influential philosophers of our time or currently living. And I was very moved by that book, The Life You Can Save. And it also has an organization with the same name and related charities that was all about how we can all do more to help other people. And literally, for many individuals living in uh, relative, even not wealth, but wealth compared to the rest of the world, you could donate an amount of money uh, that would save a life or save lives. And so he was arguing in that book from a philosophical and also a really a moral and human standpoint that we should all be doing more and how could we be okay with not doing less when we can see that what we're spending money on or the money we're saving or some of that money that we're saving could literally save someone's life how can we say it's more important what we're buying with it or um, saving it for when a life is at stake and i was very moved by the book and, and i talked about it and was very moved by the author, Peter Singer, and was looking at him as a uh, moral um, leader, so to speak. And also, actually, I came across his name because he has written some very influential books on animal rights and veganism from a moral standpoint. And I found this other book, The Life You Can Save. I've already ordered a book of his to come in October, a new book on animal rights and, and to sort of bolster my own understanding of being vegan, which I started two weeks ago, and and the implications morally and, and, so, and so forth. So I'm looking forward to that book. But then when I started this book, I look at the first chapter, and I start the first chapter, and I see that this woman who's writing um, the first chapter, maybe I can find her name. Uh, let's see. Harriet McBride Johnson. She, I think, recently passed, but in, in the book, she was sharing her experience going to meet with a professor 
who actually was saying that maybe her life was not worth living in some so to speak or that parents who have children who are born handicapped or with certain disabilities should have the choice of killing their child when the child is born i know it sounds egregious even to say and who's the professor she's meeting with who has this view none other than peter singer and so i was really thrown for a loop and shocked i had heard of peter singer before but really got familiar with him just recently in the past few weeks and as i mentioned was very moved by him saw some of his talks and felt like he was someone that was morally and intellectually someone I would look up to. Uh, then when I saw this argument of his, and I looked it up a little bit, I have to do more research, and I'm sure I will before Monday's show to talk about that aspect of the book. Again, that's one of maybe 20, 30 essays in the book. But still, um, to make sure I'm more aware of what he has said. But I did see that this is really what he is talking about. There's His argument is something about how do we approach the life of, of people who are disabled for parents and that parents, I think, as he put it, have the right to choose if they want that child or even the wording was something like replace the child, I think, meaning by a child who could be adopted or something like that. But very much treating people and these human beings like commodities, which is so strange because he's someone who promotes animal rights and even is aware of something like speciesism, where we might prefer human beings to other animals and feel like we can do anything we want to the other animals. And he seems very much in favor of actually promoting the rights of animals. So I, I was shocked to see that he could talk about human beings in, in such a way. And uh, still, I'm trying to comprehend and process it. Like I said, it was a lot for me to take in because I was not expecting that coming from him. I actually saw the back cover of the book said uh, one of the there's a conversation with Peter Singer and I was like oh great let's see what he says and I was expecting him to be very much in favor of the rights and, and the lives of individuals with disabilities but then was shocked and really horrified to see all uh, really the opposite. And so as I'm still thinking about this it's a reminder that when we look up to people or we might admire people uh, they're human beings that are multifaceted and they might have good ideas about something and maybe some ideas that you strongly disagree with in another area and that can be okay. A lot of times when we try to turn human beings into gods and think that everything they think must be right because this person is so wise or smart or morally you know, um, aware, we we put them on a pedestal that assumes everything about them must be right and true. And that's not the case. I actually recently was talking about this whole movement about statues and monuments here in the United States, and that I often think building a monument or a statue to a whole person, to one person, might be a mistake altogether. That rather than putting a statue for a person, we can put a statue for a movement or something that person did, let's say civil rights or fighting for you know creating the united states and the constitution let's say a statue for the constitution but not necessarily a statue of an individual because people are imperfect and so there's things they've done that are maybe really bad also or that we really disagree with now 
and it creates these complexities of trying to understand how to remember them, but we can remember something they did. And so I'm kind of faced with that now with Peter Singer of trying to understand him more. I want to read more about what he has said, but that when it comes to things like animal rights, I might very much agree with him when it comes to uh encouraging and really strongly encouraging everyone to do more to save the lives of people who are facing extreme poverty lives that can be saved avoidable deaths that we all should be doing more as individuals and as nations and the whole world and i strongly agree with that and still um, am happy that he is doing that work and would support that work while at the same time i might strongly disagree with his view on individuals with disabilities and their life and death and if their life is even worth living and as i said i have to go deeper into his views to understand it better but what i read was very shocking for me and so for me it was another reminder that we always have to still think for ourselves very often what we like to do is find someone uh, sometimes it's a group uh, whatever uh, you know some kind of organization even religion in a way can have this same type of thing for sure, that we will do the thinking for us. I don't have to think anymore. I just follow this uh, religion. I follow this ideology or I follow this individual and I don't have to think they think for me. And it's very dangerous and we, we can never let ourselves go there. Even as you listen to me, I don't think anyone's necessarily putting me on that pedestal, but I hope when you hear me, as much as it's me speaking and you're listening, it's an active process of listening, not just you passively hearing what I'm saying and taking it in, but that you hear it, you think about it, you even question it, you see if it makes sense for you, you might qualify some of the things I say, you might completely disagree with what I'm saying, and that's good. It reminds me of Eric Fromm's book, The Art of Being, where it was, you know, when we look at even reading a book, he was saying we shouldn't think of it as just a passive experience, but an active one where you're having a conversation essentially with the author. You're hearing what he or she is saying and you are thinking about it. Essentially, of course, you can't have a conversation where they can really respond to you, but you're thinking about it and having this engaged uh, mental process with it, not just taking it in and being receptive to anything that is being said without your own critical thinking, evaluation, and even application, seeing if it works and makes sense for you. Um, so that was something really interesting that I quickly had built someone up and then at some level they got partially torn down. But as I said, maybe that's more realistic. Uh, even when we look at great scientists, I talked about the book, Why Trust Science? On Monday by Naomi Oreskes, a very, really fascinating book, especially with everything that's going on now with who do we trust and do we, who has the facts and, you know, even if a vaccine for coronavirus is created, many people say they won't take it because they don't trust the scientists and they think there's a big conspiracy going on um, about that. But in that book, it was talking about how we have to be humble as scientists and individuals and as a society, how we look at things and that scientists also have to be aware of not straying out of their uh, realm of expertise. And even in the realm of expertise, they can be wrong. Einstein made incredible discoveries and advancements for the scientific community, but he also made scientific claims that were wrong and hypotheses and theories and formulas that turned out to not be true. 
doesn't mean that what he contributed was not good uh, or very meaningful, but it means that we have to be realistic and aware that just because he made some great advancements and he was a genius, it doesn't mean everything he said and did was right. Not only that, people also will share his views on other things. And I'm not saying they have no value to say, what did Einstein say about love or education or other things? Einstein is wonderful, actually. In, in the room I'm in, I can see a biography of his in one of the books that I'm staring at. So, you know, I, I don't devalue his contribution in any way. What I think could be uh, a challenge for us or can be problematic is when we think, well, because it's Einstein and we associate Einstein with genius and smartness and intelligence and all those good things, anything he said about anything has to be true. When even anything he's had to say about physics wasn't even true. So we have to just be careful not to think, well, what did Einstein say about love? Oh, then that has to be the truth about love. Um, and same with anyone else that you admire or think is intellectually wise or has something to contribute. We still have to do the thinking for ourselves. You hear me say something about parenting, you might agree, you might disagree. You might go check and see I, what I said doesn't really make sense or isn't even what many other experts are saying. That's that's fine. And that could be maybe my view is slightly different and I could be very wrong actually at the same time too. So it's just a reminder that we have to think for ourselves. And sometimes we can be disappointed even by people that, I don't want to use the word hero, that sometimes could be a, a powerful word, but sometimes we are. We can get disappointed by someone that we admire uh, and think that, wow, they are so wise, they're so smart, how could they, uh, how could I ever disagree with them? And then you see their thoughts on something and recognize, I, I completely do disagree. So I will look more into this. Uh, Peter Singer is someone that I've mentioned on the show a lot recently because I came across his work more recently. Uh, initially, the more positive things that I agreed with, but now something that I uh, was even hurt by. It was hard to read the, the arguments that were being presented, but I'll look into it more so I further my understanding of it. And by next Monday's show, of course, I'll complete the book, Dis Disability Visibility. And I'm really enjoying the, it so far and looking forward to reading it because one of the things I try to keep in mind on this show is, of course, first for myself to grow and understand that there are individuals who are at times neglected by society or not taken care of by society, or as the title uh, implies, invisible to society. Oftentimes people with disabilities have been seen that way or not seen uh, for who they are and even really existing. I think that's what's so painful about that argument. It's almost like saying they shouldn't exist. But in this book, it's first person accounts where people are sharing their stories of what their experience is like. And I'm sure I hope to gain a lot from that or learn a lot from uh, what people experience. And I, I look forward to sharing that with you on next Monday's show. All right, let's go to a commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Studio number 3104410555. I think we have some callers. Let's go to one now. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Yes, hi, thanks for calling. Hi, Dr. Holakoi. Thanks for your useful program. Thank you, my pleasure. How can I help you? Go ahead. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm having a set of problems recently, and uh, I'm just having problems to come to terms with all of these, really. 
Uh, I'm a doctor in training and um, I work in a hospital. So I, I was really looking forward to start a new rotation because uh, as part of training, we have to do different rotations. Um, and uh, I was supposed to start a rotation in August and I was really excited about it because, you know, that's a job I never had and I wanted to add to my CV and it sounded very good to me really, it sounded very uh, exciting. However, just a few weeks before starting the job, I found out that I'm pregnant. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously, because of this COVID crisis, and obviously uh, hospitals do risk assessment for COVID, um, I kind of informed our um, HR or human resources. And they said to me that because of COVID and pregnancy, going to this hospital is not really safe for you and we have to change you to another job. And at that point of time, I thought, okay, this is a reasonable um, decision because obviously, I, you know, the pregnancy obviously comes first and I do everything to make sure the pregnancy goes, um, you know, as safe as it could be. So uh, I was changed to a different job. It sounded safer because it was based on community and, uh, you know, obviously it didn't have the risk of going to general hospital and general ward. But unfortunately, like, um, after they moved me, like two weeks after all of this, uh, I went for a scan and they they couldn't find a heartbeat and um, Mm. the pregnancy was uh, terminated. I'm sorry um, that. Apparently, like, two weeks before all of this. Hmm. So I kind of um, found myself in a very difficult situation because suddenly I felt like I was at loss at both sides. Uh, I lost the job, obviously, and hmm. also I lost the pregnancy at the same time. So um, I just found it very difficult to deal with all of this. And obviously, you know, with a miscarriage, there's not much I could do, you know, I could just, mm-hmm. I was in shock for a few days and I just had to accept it because if the baby, I mean, if the pregnancy is gone, it's gone. But then uh, I tried to go back to the job I really wanted to because now obviously I could start the job. But uh, because they kind of, they exchanged me for a, a different person. It was a guy they sent to that job instead of me. That guy didn't accept to, you know, uh, mm-hmm. change with me again or exchange with me again. So he, he kind of uh, resisted moving. And I ended up being in a job I really don't like and also losing a pregnancy. So I just feel really at loss at both sides and I'm just not... Uh, I couldn't really uh, put my mind at ease and accept it because it was really difficult. Mm. Um, I mean, that sounds extremely difficult, and uh, we we have to, and I hope you will be patient with yourself in getting through this, that there's so much to, to deal with in multiple ways, because even being at the job you are at now, unfortunately, in some ways is a subtle reminder of the pregnancy and what happened also. So that can be underlying that. And I know you said about losing the pregnancy, you know, there's nothing you can do. It happened and there's nothing you can do to change that. And that's true. And uh, there, it is the reality, a very sad reality. Uh, although I hope at the same time, you don't 
uh, undermine or give yourself that space to, to grieve because many people after a miscarriage, they think, well, you know, especially because of our tendency to want to deny or avoid feelings or when people are trying to be supportive, they often give this kind of advice of saying, well, you didn't have the baby, so you know, even they'll undermine or, or minimize the loss, that not much was lost. But many women who have gone through a miscarriage, it, it takes them a long time to grieve. Even sometimes they still think about that baby they could have had, child they could have had years later. And so I'm not saying necessarily you have to have that experience and have those feelings, but I just want to make sure because so often feelings related to grieving uh, miscarriages are so undermined i don't want you to to feel that pressure or to feel that either it, it can be understandable that you're very sad about this everything you had to go through physically uh, and also yes you were pregnant and didn't have the baby yet but you usually start to build a connection with your baby even when you're pregnant and thinking about the future and so many other things that i don't want to give you something to be sad about but i just want you to give yourself that space that it, it could be uh, grieving is not something just simple when it comes to something like a miscarriage it's a very unique type of grieving because you never physically saw the child but it doesn't mean it doesn't have a big impact so just something um, important to keep in mind but yeah it seems like you have gone through very challenging time and if i may ask how long ago was the miscarriage uh, so miscarriage happened uh, when I was around like six weeks. So mm. it was about actually two weeks ago or about, oh. yeah, it was about mm. two weeks ago that I was told that there is no heartbeat. And yeah. mm. um, it was very early loss. Uh, yeah. But then, you know, I kind of blame myself for actually telling human resources about, the you know, the early pregnancy, which wasn't confirmed on a scan. I just blame myself. I'm... I'm thinking that if I didn't tell them about this, uh, I, I at least could have the job. Because um, when I told them about the pregnancy, the scan was not done at that point. And, but I, had, I felt like I had to tell them because of, obviously, you know, COVID crisis and, yeah. you know, how hospitals are struggling. And uh, every hospital is doing a COVID risk assessment now for even mm -hmm. the junior doctors training so but after i lost both i yeah. kind of blame myself for even actually opening my mouth and telling them about this because at that point they i think i got them worried that we don't we can't have a pregnant woman on the department i have we have to move her obviously like two weeks after this there was even no baby hmm. um well so, i can I understand mean, yeah i understand you're not obviously happy with the result of course of the miscarriage but even just professionally what has happened now uh, it's very heartbreaking to have the job you want and then because you get pregnant and you inform them you lose that job and then you lose the baby which is devastating and now you can't go back and get that job um, which you left because of the baby which you now don't get to have it's, it's heartbreaking it's very very sad and I hope uh, you know I can understand you not being happy with the result um, but I would hope you could recognize your action, as you said yourself, was probably the right action or made sense to inform them of what's going on. And so very often we maybe don't like the result of a decision we made, 
but we always have to try to go back to the moment where we made the decision, not the moment where the results happened. Because when you made the decision, to me, it made complete sense. It was probably the morally right thing to do. You probably wouldn't have felt good um, had the pregnancy continued. What would you have done down the line if, you know, the baby, of course, was developing and now you're showing and now w without telling them, you probably would face a whole bunch of other uh, issues that would be much worse. So I think it was the right decision, even if it didn't give you the right result or a result you feel good about. And so I hope that would make you not blame yourself. You know, what you're going through isn't because of something wrong or bad you did. In a lot of ways, it was just an unfortunate, very, very unfortunate circumstances that you are facing but you're not responsible for them. Very often when we are going through something really bad and we're hurting, we look for someone to blame. It's very, it's the, the fastest response is, okay, who made this happen? And I think it's unfair to put that blame on yourself that you have made this happen, even if you are in a situation you don't like, which yes, you can go back and see how could have some part of it been different. If you didn't tell them that that makes sense, it would have been different, but I don't think you would have felt like it's the right thing to do from what you've told me so far. Mm. But I, I mean, the problem I'm having here is that uh, because I really feel at loss on both mm. sides. So yeah. I think that my difficulty is just how to come to terms with the feeling of loss because, uh, you know, I was just feeling that I'm such a loser, really. Uh, mm. I lost both things that I was really excited for. But I just don't know within myself how to accept this result and just, um, you know, come to terms with it. Yeah. Well, uh, well, let me ask you before I answer that part, when you said I'm a loser, what did you, I mean, I get that you've lost two things that are very significant, but loser, at least the way it's sometimes used in an American way, it's very much judging ourselves like we are bad in some way. Is that what you meant by loser? I think I'm kind of uh, wanting to say that obviously um, the both things that were quite important to me, I lost yeah. them both. At the, oh, at in a very short period of time, in a period of yeah. weeks. I mean, I get that. Uh, yeah, that part I can get that you've experienced two big losses and in some ways they're connected because of what you explained about the work and the pregnancy. Um, so I can understand it's very hurtful. And, you know, two weeks after the um, miscarriage, I'm not surprised you're still sad or hurting. So it could take some time. And I hope you'll give yourself that space that it's not that you should just bounce back and feel good right now. It's understandable that you're not feeling good. And, and it's still lingering because you're at the workplace that you don't want to be in, which as I said, unfortunately, might be this subtle reminder of the loss. It's like, I'm, I'm here, I don't want to be here. And I'm here because of this really horrible thing that happened to me or I had to experience related to it. So I can get that it's very challenging. And so I'll give, I hope you'll give yourself that space and we could talk about it some more too of what might help. But one of the things is it will take some time that after two weeks, I would not expect for you to be feeling totally fine about what's happening. It, it would be expected that it's going to be painful what you're going through. Who do you have around you? I'm not sure if you're married, if your husband is 
um, in the picture helping you? Who do you have around you that is giving you support during this time? Uh, he's my fiancé is around. And, okay. Uh, he is also very supportive. So Good. He kind of thinks that, uh, you know, at that point of time, you made the right decision to tell yeah. them. But uh, unfortunately, this has happened. Yeah. So I, he thinks that it wasn't... Yeah. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, yeah. he thinks that uh, at that point of time, it was very reasonable to go to a community job rather than a hospital job. Obviously, yeah. the COVID is still a problem and the cases are rising. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. for the pregnancy, he believes that it was, uh, you know, it was definitely more risk. But then obviously yeah. with the news also, he was quite, uh, you know, devastated with all the news. But he's very supportive. Okay, good. I'm glad he is, and I'm yeah, I'm sure he's devastated too. Uh, you know, I was mentioning, of course, that for the mother, physically going through the process can be even more challenging. But the father of the baby also can experience a lot of grief as well. So it's something you're both going through together, as is usually the case. It might be in slightly different ways because also with your work, it's related. And being the mother, that might be a different level or type of connection that you had with the baby, but this is a challenging time. And I think what you're going through, as he said, it doesn't make it easier to not blame yourself, the pain of what happened, but I hope it'll remove one more layer of bad feeling that comes with this if you're putting that guilt and blame on yourself. And what I was going to say, this is a little bit, I know, hard to comprehend or people have different views on this because it gets into some things of when is a baby a baby and when is life and all those things and I don't I'm not trying to open up that type of a discussion but I was thinking how by telling HR and making those decisions you were doing the right thing and you were giving love to that baby by making the best choice for also that baby while uh, he or she or you know that it whatever you want to call it was was alive and to give it the best chance. So I think you you made the most loving and right decision as well for that baby. And of course, it's unfortunate what happened, but I hope you can feel good about that decision that I made the most loving decision for that unborn child. And of course, the, the result was not what you wanted, but you did something, I think, very right in, in taking care of yourself and in taking care of that unborn child. Yeah, I think you're right, yes. Um, I think, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, the part I'm blaming myself for, I was thinking that, you know, a lot of women wait to announce a pregnancy when, you know, mm-hmm. they see a baby on a scan, uh, maybe 12-week scan or something, uh, and it's more confirmed. And, you know, I certainly could have waited to have that scan and, her work, but I think the only reason I announced it a little bit early was because of obviously uh, COVID and the problem yeah. with it. So, I mean, but I, I kind of uh, go back and think maybe I should have waited a bit longer, waited for a scan. Uh, at least I could have saved my job. Maybe I couldn't save the baby, but I could save the job. And maybe, and in hindsight, it seems like that could have likely been the result. I still can see how, as soon as you knew, telling them felt like the right thing, 
and I think you mm -hmm. did the right thing, uh, but you don't feel good about the result, which is understandable. Now, because there's so much here, and if you're okay with it, I'll put you on hold, and after the break, we'll talk a bit more about what you're also emotionally going through and what this process of grieving might okay. be like. How does that sound? Yeah, that's great. Thank you so okay. much. Okay, great. Thank All right. You. My pleasure. Well, you're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delorque. We will be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, we were with a caller. Let's go back to her now. Caller, are you still there? Hello, yes. Thank you, Dr. Malakui, uh, for uh, bringing sure. me back. Of back. course. Uh, my pleasure. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy I get to talk to you. I'm very sorry and sad of what you've had to go through recently. Uh, and even during the break, I was thinking about it. It's really heartbreaking. Um, and and I'm hoping, as I mentioned before, that you'll be kind to yourself in this process when it comes to the, the blame and to give yourself that space. Uh, you're a medical mm -hmm. doctor, so I'm not telling you something you don't know and something you know much better than me, but even hormonally after a miscarriage for, I, I, I think, even a month or two months, there can be some hormones related to pregnancy in the body as well, which can further complicate what you are going through. And so you really have yeah. to give even your body some time to recover um, from what's happened along with your emotional emotional body. And, um, you know, the miscarriage, the grief from losing a, a pregnancy is not something that's talked about a lot for many reasons. One, we don't talk about a lot of painful and uncomfortable things, but also because a miscarriage can at times happen before people have told lots of people are told anyone uh, sometimes there's really not that process to then tell them because we feel like well they don't even know about the pregnancy i'm not going to tell them the pregnancy has ended and so that grief can very often be done alone or we feel like we have to hide it or uh, we don't really get the same type of support we generally do when people are aware of what we are going through so i'm glad you have your fiance who you've said has been very supportive is there anyone else that you have had to support you in this that might have known about the, the pregnancy or that you told them afterwards because of the pain and what you were going through? Um, I don't have my family, uh, my immediate family here, but mm. I told them about this. So obviously, it's all mm -hmm. over the phone and uh, over WhatsApp calls. And uh, I mean, they were trying to support me and they were very understanding. Uh, but apart from that, I didn't tell my colleagues that was because mm -hmm. it was very early. I just felt sure. that I had to tell, um, you know, important HR people and my boss. And mm -hmm. even if, um, you know, when I was moved to this job, to the current community job, before starting the job, my boss uh, actually told a lot of nurses about it. And uh, when I started the job, like, uh, on the last week, when I went to work on the first day, everyone were congratulating me, and I was mm -hmm. like, oh, my gosh. I mean, for some of them, I just had to tell them, right, in a, in a yeah. you know, now my first sentence to them know that I lost the baby. And uh, it was just very awkward and uh, difficult experience. And my boss apologized, uh, obviously. It's not her fault. I mean, right. Uh, there's nothing wrong that she did, but, uh, you know, when I went to work, obviously they were all expecting me to, uh, I mean, they were expecting a pregnant lady, and I was there, mm. and uh, I had to tell them that I lost the baby. And 
Unfortunately, when I came to the job, I really needed to fight it at all. Uh, it's just uh, the type of patients I see, it's not the usual type of patients. It's very out of my field. And uh, the job I was supposed to go was actually very interesting for me, and uh, it was very competitive to get into. So, mm. um, in a way, there is no way I can get it back. And, uh, uh, that's why I just feel like uh, I'm really at loss because that was my maybe the uh, only opportunity to get into it. And then obviously because I opened my mouth about pregnancy, I just automatically lost it. Well, uh, well, I mean, I know you can't, you're saying get it back right now. I don't know enough about the details, but I assume that it doesn't mean you can't ever have it back again, which still is frustrating because you did have it literally right, you know, on your fingertips and we're starting it. Um, but even the way you say it, I, I understand <laughs> I opened my mouth, but really you said the right thing and you did the right thing, which sometimes we can not feel like much of a consolation when the result isn't something we like. Uh, but I hope you will have that respect for yourself for what you did, as I mentioned in the last segment, even if the result was something, something you didn't like. And yeah, the pain of people knowing and then of course they're going to be excited and as you said it wasn't your boss's fault to come and say congratulations and be excited for you but the circumstance was that what they said was very hurtful or uh, brought up a, a pain or it was painful to tell them um not that we always know but did you get any was there any potential cause that you were aware of for the miscarriage that the doctors said could have been involved i know very often there isn't a clear cause miscarriages happen more than many people know about because it's not always talked about. But did you get any information from the doctors about that? Uh, unfortunately, no, Dr. Hulakui. They mm. said, uh, I asked them and they said it's a million dollar question. We yeah. really don't know the, the cause. But uh, yeah, it just, uh, I mean, they were quite sure that there wasn't any heartbeat. And, Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, it's just a really shocking moment because, for I mean, at that moment, everything went went down for me. Yeah, and uh, my partner hasn't told his family yet about the miscarriage, and mm -hmm. um, this is something that we need to do over the next few weeks. Yeah. But then it was quite yeah. I wasn't given any uh, cause for mm -hmm. this. Yeah, very often there isn't. Uh people don't have a clear cause sometimes it's more but they might have some reasons they might think but a lot of times it's not known uh, and yet telling you know telling people is a, also a very sad process too because sometimes like you're experiencing it's different waves and then you have to go through it again of your own feelings but then their feelings about it and that also can be challenging now as i mentioned you're gonna have um likely a painful process of grieving that you're still in and i hope you'll give yourself that space that it's only been a few weeks and you're still in it in so many ways physically uh, still telling people as you were saying with your fiance's family so there's so many aspects to this so i hope you'll give yourself that time and space to grieve this genuine loss uh, looking forward also now i don't want to move you but just because of our time and talking with each other, there can be some things to look at because clearly this had a big impact on you professionally and even more strongly personally. So what do you think about looking forward? How does this 
changed even, let's say, about wanting to get pregnant again, if that's something you'd like to do. Um, and you mentioned some things about your work, but I want us to look forward a bit too. Uh, tell me a bit about that, what, what you have on your mind. Uh, yeah, I'm very looking forward to, you know, uh, have the baby again in the future because this pregnancy was, um, you know, very well planned and also for which we're really looking forward to this. Mm. Uh, it's the first pregnancy it was for me and uh, also my fiancé doesn't have any children uh, from any previous relationship. So we were both very, very, very looking forward to this. We were very excited. Mm. And uh, so, I mean, looking forward, I we definitely want to, you know, have the baby or, or become pregnant again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also, in terms of uh, jobs and professions, I'm in the last six months of my training. And basically, um, this current job I have is basically my last opportunity as a training doctor after that, when I get my degree, you know. I'm no longer in training, and I can work as uh, as a consultant or attendant. Uh, but I think for me, still the pregnancy comes uh, as a priority. So okay. probably, if I become pregnant in the next uh, month or so, I probably looking at having, you know, giving myself a break from job mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, overall, it's very stressful. The current job I'm having is very, very stressful. I'm on an on-call rota, and uh, uh, I think it is too much stress at the same time that I'm grieving. Um, mm-hmm. So I think after finishing the job in six months, I'm probably looking at giving myself a break from, you know, uh, from medical training and medical jobs and focus mm-hmm. on myself and maybe have another for the baby, I think. Okay. Yeah, that, that sounds like uh, you said the priority is to have a child, but of course you're in your training as well, so trying to, to make that balance. Now, uh, one thing also, as you might even anticipate, people who have experienced, women who have experienced a miscarriage, when they're getting pregnant again or if they get pregnant again, there can be an anxiety because of what they experienced, which we can understand. So there might be that. It doesn't mean something bad has to happen. But when we have a bad experience in a certain domain or a certain type of experience, we usually have an anxiety that will come up the next time we're in that situation. And it, it varies from person to person, case to case. But something for you to be ready for that it might be there. I've ex- seen that with many people. They have that experience. Sometimes they say they want to wait even longer to tell anyone because of that. Um, even sometimes a pregnant mother might have a harder time connecting with the baby, even after birth, but before, because of that. They don't mm-hmm. want to create that connection, get attached when there's that fear of losing. So I've, I've talked to people even recently who've gone through that experience where they had been pregnant several times and because they lost the baby when they became pregnant again, they kind of were almost in this, not denial, but didn't want to fully accept it because it was too scary to get their hopes up in the fears of losing it again because of how painful that was. So we can be aware that this might have some lingering effects and that's okay. At some level, it's to be expected um, that that's happening. And uh, I, I do wish you the best both personally and professionally. And professionally, I know it's very, it's sad to have had 
something like a, maybe, I don't know if it's a dream job, but a, a very a job you wanted very strongly right there and then to lose it for something so tragic too. It's very painful. Uh, hopefully, though, there's a bigger picture here that you will get to be in that position or have even better ones in the future as you go forward. Um, and I hope, again, you'll give yourself that time. It's only been a few weeks that this will take take some time to, to grieve and get past. I'm glad you have your uh, fiancé's support. It seems like he's being understanding. Unfortunately, at times I've seen families where they say, you know, you shouldn't be sad about it or we should be over it already, but I'm glad he's recognizing and you're recognizing this is a heavy situation that will take some time to heal. And the best thing you guys can do is to, to support each other and heal and go through it together. It might be uh, and likely is a dark time, but doesn't mean that darkness will, will last forever. And I'm hoping for brighter days for you and him uh, and, and soon to be growing family in the near future. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Hanako. I mean, uh, sometimes I think it's a very selfish thought I'm having these days that I think, you know, I hope sometimes I find myself hoping for the guy who went instead of me to that job. Mm -hmm. It's a very selfish thing, but sometimes I think that I hope that he gives up on that job or just changes his mind. So if he leaves, then I will be automatically going to that job. I know it's a very uh, hopeless thing, but uh, I mean, well, I it's not that if, if that yeah. guy accepted it, because he was asked to move and then he said, I don't want to move. Mm -hmm. And um, that's why I was talking this position, really. Sure. I mean, I, and I understand you're saying it feels maybe like selfish or not something um, you like, that you have this feeling of something, you know, him changing or something happening. We can understand that you had that position. You left for um, a reason that was you being upfront and trying to be proactive and make the right choice. Then you had to go through this horrible tragedy and then going back to what was yours and seeing that someone is there doesn't feel good and you feel like that's rightfully mm -hmm. yours. Now, I mean, I would say if we, I can understand your feeling completely. And then if we put ourselves in his shoes, we can probably understand that he started the position and doesn't want to change. I don't know how expected it is for someone to then change because of what you're going through. I can see how you feel like maybe knowing the circumstances, it would make sense for him to go through something even inconvenient to, to give you back that position. Uh, but I don't know enough to, to, to really make a comment on that other than to say, I can see how someone starting a position doesn't want to then go and change again, um, uh, you know, due to the circumstance, but I can completely understand your feeling that, you know, you don't like that he's there. And at some point you might even, maybe not yet, get to the point where you can I don't know if forgive is the right term, but lose some of that anger towards him or heal some of that anger towards him to recognize he's maybe making what's the best decision for him. And we can mm -hmm. understand that at some level, even if that decision creates a, a situation you don't like for yourself that feels unfair. You know, he's he's in that position and going through his training now, and he's probably thinking that makes sense for him to continue to not disrupt his training. But I can see how it makes you upset. It's understandable that you would wish somehow that position opens up. My, my thought is that also bigger picture, you likely will be able to be in that position and even better ones in the future when you finish your training and are working. So 
try to keep that in mind as well that you know right now you probably feel so bad understandably you want something to make you feel better quickly or even this will feel like some kind of justice at least i've gotten my job back so the loss was really horrible of the the baby but at least it was only that one loss not this double loss that i've experienced so i can understand that desire to want to feel better and to feel like there's some sense of justice in this right now it just probably feels very unfair and you're right to feel that it does feel unfair so i can understand that feeling and and we'll see how it goes give yourself like i said space that you're going to probably go through a lot of feelings as you know grief brings with it anger and sadness and uh, you know bargaining and all the different stages of grief but even ones that aren't included in that five so be ready for yourself to go through a whole lot um, and I'm wishing again the best for you and your fiance and hopefully you know growing family soon to come thank you so much Dr. my pleasure so nice talking to you thank you my pleasure wishing you all the best take care thank you so much thank you cheers all right let's go to another commercial break we'll be right back Welcome back. Studio number 310-441-0555. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Oh, hi there. Um, uh, can <laughs> hi. you hear me? I can. Thanks for calling. Go ahead. Yeah, thank you very much, Dr. Holagui Jr. It's a pleasure <laughs> and it's an honor talking to you. Likewise. Likewise. Uh, uh, yes. Um, actually, I'm calling you. Uh, first of all, I do apologize. Um, I've been online for quite some time, so... The battery of my phone is going down. I don't know how Uh-oh. long it's going to last. So I'm going to make it very quick. Okay. Uh, well, Go ahead. Uh, the gist of um, the, the story is that um, actually I contacted your dad about two and a half years ago. It was about a marital problem I had. And, um, well, uh, he shed some light about the fact that I have to face the fact that uh, I have to really uh, see how things are. And the more... Um, anyway... Fast forward, I filed for divorce uh, about a year and a half ago, officially. And I have got a nine-year-old child, and uh, she's a lonely child. She doesn't have any siblings. And unfortunately, what has happened is that my husband has taken the strategy of dragging things on and on and on. Unfortunately, I've also been quite unlucky with the court proceedings where I am. It's been quite a lot of delay because the courts are extremely busy. And then we had all this COVID-19 uh, saga and um, how um, it made, has made things even worse. And I've had the first hearing uh, back in January. The second hearing is going to be in November. He doesn't really want to negotiate anything between solicitors. And uh, the whole process of lockdown was awful, really, for us not getting on with each other and me trying to move forward, getting on with our lives and, uh, you know, trying to have an environment that is going to be not so toxic for my child. And from the other hand, he just doesn't cooperate. Um, What has happened also during the lockdown, I had to do all the homeschooling as well with my child, so it was adding extra pressure. And she happens to be quite angry with me. Mm -hmm. She sees the whole divorce process as 
it's my fault. This is what I am doing. And she projects that anger to me quite a lot. And, but somehow, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm trying to help her out with however I can. But um, to just give you an example, about a couple of months ago, she had a, a bad dream. And her bad dream was about she was left by me in a shop, mm. and I left her, apparently to be sold. And there was another lady walking to the shop to buy her out. She apparently looked like me, but from what she's telling me, I look quite creepy. And she was horrible to her. And um, she was really, you know, she had a... Anyway, she woke up, but believe it or not, it's still two months, and she still goes on and on and on about this bad dream, mm. about me... Uh, literally, is abandoned. Uh, I think she feels that I'm going to leave. That's, that, mm-hmm. that's not true. That's not the case at all. But I don't know, first of all, how can I help her in terms of managing her anger? I don't know why she's so angry with me all of the sudden, because I'm the one that does everything. I'm the one that arranges all the play dates. I'm the one that does all the schoolwork. I'm the one that all the time tells her that, I don't know, pick up your socks, put your dirty clothes in the laundry, whatever it is. But uh, anyway, I'm reaching out to, to for advice, really. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so I mean, uh, there's a lot more for me to to hear to really understand the full picture. Divorce is always challenging, even if it's the right choice. It's going to be challenging for the couple, but even more on the kids. So your child is the only child takes on all of that uh, herself, and that's going to be hard for her. It's hard to say exactly what that dream meant. I had a lot of thoughts pop into my head. Um, but when we look at the anger, there can be a lot of reasons why a child is anger, angry or shows anger towards one parent. Of course, there could be things you're doing that she doesn't like. So I don't want you to just think if she's angry, it's not about anything you're doing. It's about her or it's about her father. We, we always want to take a close look at what we are doing and what we can change that can that can help and at the same time not to say it's all this but sometimes when a child is going through something that's painful or they're angry they might express the anger towards the parent that they feel like is more receptive to it or they can express it to so for example I've worked with families that if one parent is very angry and the, the child is scared of that parent they might actually show the anger to the other parent because it feels safer or easier to express that anger. So again, I don't want to say something that takes you completely off the hook to say any anger she's showing you is about the divorce and about her father. But we want to be aware that we don't personalize it either, that it means I'm a bad mom or she doesn't like me or her dad is winning in some battle between who's the better parent or who she loves more. Because then we start to do things that hurt the child and aren't good parenting to try to win. And any time we create a war between our either spouse or ex-spouse, what we're doing is we're firing bullets and our kid or our kids are in between. And they're the ones that are taking the majority of the bullets and getting wounded and hurt the most. So we want to make sure we don't engage even if one partner or one uh, ex-partner starts creating a war that we don't want to engage in that war because our child uh, or children will be the biggest casualty they'll get hurt the most uh, so in her dream although it might seem like she's saying oh you're going to leave me we want to pay attention more to the fear of you're going to leave me 
or maybe that you're going to be replaced. Now, is that you being meaner to her? Could there be something about a stepmom or something that she's scared about that would be like you? So it's like a mom, but a creepy version, a bad version. But either way, this is scary for a nine-year-old to go through these changes and separation and two different homes and all sorts of things. So we want to, especially her dream, but even what she even says, but especially a dream we don't want to take personally to say, why in your dream do you imagine me leaving you? I would never leave you. How could you say such a thing? You know, people have dreams that are all sorts of things that might not be really connected to reality or reflective of reality, but we don't want to take them personally. So whatever dream she has, I can understand it doesn't feel good for you to hear a dream where you're leaving her at a store. But imagine for her, there's some fear of losing you, some fear of, of being alone or being left or being with a parent who's creepy and really mean. Something is going on and we want to pay attention to that feeling more than the character we are in that dream, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, we have had conversation about this dream time and time again. Mm -hmm. And time and time again, she says that, Mom, but you were... It wasn't you, but it was you. You were so mm -hmm. mean to me in the dream. And the more I'm trying to explain, mommy, it was just a bad dream. You know, everybody has got bad dreams. But apparently the dream in her head was so vivid that mm -hmm. after weeks, she's still talking about it. She's still thinking about it. And somehow, um, maybe part of me thinks that somehow she's trying to internalize something within her i don't know um, maybe i'm reading too much into this well, but i'm trying I mean, to help her out mm -hmm. i would listen to her feeling about you know when she tells you that dream you're right it is just a dream we all have bad dreams you could even tell her oh that dream sounds so scary i could see how that must have been such a scary dream and didn't feel good and then give her the reassurance that you know mommy would never ever leave you i'm always going to be here for you or you know and however you can give her that reassurance again not to take the dream personally it's not um you know her trying to hurt you or something that she's intentionally or even saying oh see you're a bad mom so in my dream you showed up this way it could even be the fear of losing you it doesn't have to be you are a bad mom it could be the fear of losing my mom is so scary i'm losing my home of my mom and dad i'm losing all these things what if i lose my mom what if they take me away from this home and make me part of a new family who knows where the fears are coming from but we want to really make sure we don't take it personally and so when she tells you that dream i would say you know i could see how that was so scary that sounds really scary and then quickly so she knows you're not saying it's scary because it could happen but that it's never going to happen that i would never leave you i'm always here you know that you know you can even ask her to show her and and that she can tell you if she's afraid of losing you um, I, I would give her that space too to let you know, yeah, mommy, I, when I had the dream, I thought maybe you, you don't want me or maybe you this or maybe you that and, and see if there's something more that she's trying to tell you by telling you about that dream. Okay. So, um, and what, I mean, putting the dream to the side, what mm -hmm. else can I do? Because Andy, she's got other characteristics which tells me she has got anxiety. For example, let's say a while ago we were going through her old toys. There are some toys that belonged to when she was three or four or five. And I was saying that, okay, we need to declutter. So let's go through the toys, you know, the baby toys. We're going to just put them to charity or um, throw them away somehow. 
So, and she has got a very, very hard time letting go of mm-hmm. certain toys that she hasn't played with them for years. And um, I guess actually this is a characteristic that her dad has. He doesn't throw things away at all. I mean, he always thinks that, I mean, we got a whole shit at the back of the garden full of stuff that he hasn't used them for years, but he doesn't throw them away either. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't know. And also her dad uh, is also um, is quite anxious man by nature. Yeah. He's always been anxious. He's a very, very anxious and uh, passive-aggressive person. But so that what, so what that's going to tell us, you know, that tells us she's going to genetically get that anxiety. And as you're also imagining, she's seeing him act in these ways that might make her feel the same way about losing things. And she's losing something really big, as I was saying a few minutes ago, losing the family or that sense of family. So holding on to things might have even more of a meaning to her now, or even holding on to this is when I had my family together or whatever else might be attached to those memories. Uh, is something we might be able to understand. And I'm not saying that means she should be this way. We want to encourage her to, to not throw things away, but we also want to make sure um, the way you said even before, I'm the one who tells her, do this, don't do this. You might be coming at her in a way that makes her feel controlled or forced to do some things that make her feel even more anxious. So if someone is holding on to some things and you say, you have to throw these away or you have to give these to someone else or to charity, that can feel different than giving her some feeling of power or control over this herself. That what do you think about giving away some of your toys to charity? And let's see what she says. So making the conversation more about actually a dialogue of her sharing her side rather than telling her what we're going to do and then getting upset that she doesn't do what we think she should do about the situation. And so if she's anxious, the more you make her feel bad about her anxiety, uh, and this is actually going to be a challenge for you too, because you're saying you feel like anxiety and these traits are things she has gotten from her father or her father has, and you clearly are not going to have a very great feeling about her father, I'm assuming, based on everything that's going on. When you see those in her, you're more likely to react negatively to them because they remind you of her, of him, or maybe you don't want her to be like him, and so you want to get these things out of her. But she's still 50% genetically um, his child and 50% raised by her as far as you know up to this point, and so she's going to be like him in a lot of ways, and we have to accept that and make sure we don't make her feel bad about being who she is. Sure. What what advice do you have for somebody like me who's gonna mm-hmm. who deals with, and because at the moment you see I'm like a firefighter. I'm fighting at so yeah. many corners. Sometimes I don't know what's going on. You know, I got this court case going on. I have got this um, you know dilemma of COVID nineteen and have been affected professionally by it, which hasn't been great at all. And I have got uh, my child who's, um, of course, she's my first priority. But at the same time, because she is on her own, she needs quite a lot of attention. She's not a child who can entertain herself. And over this COVID-19, we used to have quite a lot of play dates all all the time, filling up her, as your dad always suggesting, you know, buy friends for them, 
Mm-hmm. Get them busy. Get them occupied with good friends. This is what I've been doing all the time. Yeah. But during the period of lockdown, we had no other choice. We, we were sure. stuck really inside. But it's just trying to all the time stay interactive with her without actually those feelings you just mentioned, you know, bubbling up Very to the surface. Hard, yeah. I found it hard, really hard. So what I'm advice sure. do you have for me? So- I didn't mean to, I wanted to let you talk and then I was looking at the time. We have to go to a commercial break and I want to give us more time. So I'll keep that in mind and we'll come back after the break and talk about that. Hopefully okay? my battery is not gone. I hope so. If not, if not, I'll give some thoughts over the air, but I hope you'll, yeah, you'll still be with us. Okay, let's Thank go to the commercial much. break. Thank talk you. to you soon. All right, we'll be right back. back before the break we're with the caller let's go back to her now caller are you still there the phone's still working yes i'm still here yes yeah, <laughs> all right i'm glad glad we I'm still glad have you yeah my phone is still here okay so, yeah. good. the phone is still working and has enough energy i think you're trying to see can you have enough energy to take care of everything uh <laughs> you're dealing with as you were saying before the break and you know you you listed all the things you're, you're experiencing or going through and it is a lot so we first have to acknowledge that and recognize it is a lot of things you're dealing with going through a divorce uh, covid affecting your career and covid in general how it's affecting all of us creating a little more anxiety or uncertainty in what we experience and then very importantly and probably most importantly uh, being the mother to a nine-year-old girl and how to be there for her the best and we know that divorce will likely be hard on her but how do we make it have the least negative impact or make it the best we can make it for her so that's uh it is challenging so we can recognize that and it's something that you really want to make sure you're aware of what you are feeling because there is a lot for you to go through and a lot that you'll be feeling and making sure as little as possible that spills over onto your daughter because uh it's likely that it can when you're so overwhelmed or going through so much that putting that onto your daughter is what we want to make sure you don't do. So I would highly recommend being aware of either how you deal with your feelings, one, but also considering speaking to a therapist or someone away from the home, away from the family, that you can process your own feelings and what you're going through because we want to make sure there's less of that to spill over onto your daughter. Because what you're describing to me is that it's hard for that not to happen at this time with everything you're dealing with. Yeah, absolutely. For example, one of the dilemmas I have, um, I have to say, you know, I come from a family that my dad uh, was had lots of anger. He had, mm-hmm. um, I, I think today's terminology, you would say that he has um, uh, rageaholic. So mm-hmm. he had... Um, the way he was managing off life, everything was through his anger. He still is. He's 82 years of age, but and when you are next to him, you can see anger is just bubbling up. He just needs mm. something for just go off completely. So uh, I had quite a lot of anger myself as um, when I was younger, um, and it was uh, through the pro- process of working on myself, having therapy, I noticed that it was all learned anger. Of course, mm-hmm. there were some elements that were contributing towards it, but that's what, how I learned through him that this is how you're supposed to be managing things in life if people yeah. don't listen to you or if things don't go your way. 
I was either angry with people or I was angry with myself. And it took me years to figure things out for myself to get out of that anger trap. But nonetheless, there are some days that when things get too much, when there are so many emotions going on at the same time, mm-hmm. I, I just fall back to that anger. I fall back to that trap that I worked so hard to get out of, and I, I get angry. And when I get angry, I just don't know what else I can do. You know, I, I somehow feel so powerless. And um, I just, I don't want to be that person at all. And for me, not to, not to get angry, this is a very important task that I, I set myself every day that I want, don't want to get angry. But when you've got so much going on, um, it's, Sometimes it's hard. It's hard not to get mm-hmm. angry. Every time I receive a letter from my solicitor and um, uh, from my lawyer, and I'm sure you know that charges are so significant. You know, every time they exchange letters with another solicitor, they send you another invoice, another bill. That, and I know half of it is completely unnecessary. If mm-hmm. my husband was cooperating with this divorce, we would have been divorced. I don't know a year year ago with half of the cost and it angers me that why we have to spend all this money which is our money by the way and this is the money we could have spent to have a better life both of us when we are we have a separate life and our child is going to have a much better life why he's making us to get to this point that we can't talk even to each other every time trying to have because when the lawyers and my lawyer said First thing, he said that, look, the more negotiation you can do between yourselves, the more money you save, the less, co- mm-hmm. the less work I have to do. So try to see what negotiations you can do yourself, what agreements you can get, and we take it forward from there. I can't get agreement with him on anything, nothing. Everything has to be done on inviting through solicitors and through courts and through that. And that angers me a lot. Of course. Under, and it's understandable your anger um, uh, makes sense to be frustrated by this, to go through these things, feel like it's a waste of money, dragging things out. It's understandable that it's frustrating and making you angry. And we can you could look at that itself, but also going back to how much anger you're showing to your daughter, that's your responsibility. So some of these things might be out of your hand what your ex-husband are doing or, or you know, soon to be ex, the, your, the husband you're divorcing from, you can't control everything he does. Maybe communicating with him in different ways might allow for some better cooperation, but you can't control what he does. But you do have control over what you show to your daughter. And so earlier we're talking about her anger, and I was saying, of course, it could be a lot of causes, but I want to make sure we don't let you off the hook. And it's not about blame, but an understanding that, okay, if I'm showing anger to my daughter or she sees me getting angry, or especially if I show it to her, I can expect or understand she's going to give me some back, that that's usually how anger goes. Anger, unfortunately, usually becomes kind of like a cycle. When we introduce it into a system, it kind of comes back at us in some other way. So the more anger she sees from you, the more anger you get from her. And it's not to blame you, but especially we don't want to blame her or get upset with her when she's angry and recognize she's going through a lot. You're going through a whole lot. I could see that from everything you shared. But this is, your daughter is going through even more and completely out of her own hands. She's being done, you know, this is being done to her going through this divorce. 
Maybe it's the right choice you're making to make the divorce uh, happen, but she has no control over that and it just has to experience all these challenges and pains. So we want to make sure we put ourselves in her shoes a lot too, that she's the one going through uh, probably the most or in some ways because she's the smallest affected the most. And that's why I would go back to you seeking help. I know you're saying you already have expenses piling up with the court and COVID affecting your business, but it could be helpful for you to go through um, therapy again to deal with that anger. Of course, you can do things like physical exercise, meditation, um, talking to friends and other people that might help you. But your duty right now is to have the least amount of anger to bring home to your daughter. And, you know, when you're sharing before, I felt it, even the anger, and I tell her to do this, I tell her to do that. One of the ways you're going to probably respond to what you're going through is to try to control her or want her to do things you want because it's going to make it easier on you, which is understandable, but not fair to her to say, well, now because I'm going through so much, you have to make my life less stressful by doing what I want or not doing what I don't want or listening to me or taking orders from me. That's not going to help the situation to, to make her feel like she's going to be responsible in some way to reduce your anger or to not add to it, which is why it's so important for you to continue working on managing your anger so you're not giving it to her. Yeah, I see. I see your angle now. And this is an angle I never covered. Uh, you know, sometimes when things get you know, on the top of each other, and they pile up, and they pile up, and, uh, you know, coming from the background we come from, you know, we've been raised as Iranian women, mm -hmm. that we're supposed to just put up, you know, whatever, no matter how much things they pile up, you're supposed to handle it. You're not supposed mm -hmm. to, you know, it's a sign of weakness if you turn around mm -hmm. and say that, so I can't take no more. Yeah. And, uh, but, yeah. So, yeah, she, uh, my concern was really about her. And I think I have listened to your dad's CD about single parents mm -hmm. about 10 times so far without, okay, I'm good. not exaggerating. And I know that CD back to front. Uh, but he just said, I don't know what else I can do. But I guess if you think therapy or, see, I just out of curiosity, talking to friends, I mm -hmm. know when you talk to a therapist, is different because they're professionals. They've got a skill set to ask the right question, listen in a right way. But mm -hmm. would that be, a, talking to good friends would be some form of substitute? Or you think that's the no-no? You shouldn't really share anything with friends. It's just a kind of the... No, I, mean, well, I wouldn't say it's a no-no to, to share. Yeah, well, I definitely don't think it's a no-no to share with friends. Um, in general, friends, family can provide a very unique type of support that a therapist also cannot. Now, yes, what we share with whom is something we should consider. That's the good thing about when you tell a therapist, you can freely tell your therapist anything knowing that it in no way is going to come back to anyone or come back to hurt you in some way, uh, which is very nice. And that's one of the things that helps make therapy effective. But with family and friends, it's a little more complicated. So we can't think that we can just say anything to any of our friends and it doesn't affect us in any way. And it depends on the friend. There's some friends that are helpful in the advice and support that they give and some that are not and people sometimes start to learn that that even though someone might be their best friend or a very close friend 
there's some things that going to them with or about they don't find helpful so maybe you don't have to tell them or go to them even if they are someone that's close to you that's okay not every friend is going to be a good confidant especially for every type of issue or thing that you're going through so i wouldn't think it's a substitute it's another layer or type of support you could get um, but i think a therapist will as you mentioned yourself provide a different kind of insight and support that will help you manage your feelings in ways that a friend really can't. And, you know, with friends, uh, it's not going to be as consistent. Maybe they, they won't always be there. It's a very different type of a thing to rely on that. I would say if you see a therapist, it doesn't mean now don't get any support from your friends, but um, you could have both. I think going to a therapist would be a very different process. And like you said, very often people in general, but Iranians and then Iranian women have this pressure that you're supposed to take it all on, especially, let's say, as the mom, become like a martyr or just suffer. And asking for help even could be seen as a weakness or that you can't handle it or even that you don't love your kids enough because you should want to take it all on yourself, which is not true. Really, to be loving to your kids, you have to take care of yourself the most so you can give them the most as well. Because if you're not okay, as you're realizing, if you're stressed and overwhelmed, you're more likely to get angry with your daughter or be short with her or, or pass some of that feeling on to her. But the more you take care of yourself, that can be, in a lot of ways, the most loving thing you can do to your daughter. To reduce your own stress and your own anger and to manage your own anxiety, that's the most loving thing you can do to her because then she won't have to carry that burden or be inflicted with the pain of what you're going through so i would highly recommend that based on everything you say you're going through i understand the financial mm -hmm. constraints that might be involved when you already say you're concerned about finances but it could be a very good uh, i don't want to say investment in a way but in a way it's like an investment but a way of taking care of yourself and in that way taking care of your daughter you know always parents have to make sure that my kids can come to me for emotional support or to take care of their feelings, but they are not supposed to take care of my feelings at all, whether it's explicitly or, or unconsciously I'm doing that towards them. That That's not for them to take on or to be affected by. And so that's one of the ways you could do that is by going to a therapist, have that space to deal with your feelings or help you deal with your feelings so you bring less of that to your, your nine-year-old daughter. Thank you. And to sure. just, uh, I'm uh, conscious of time. Just to uh, finish the conversation, um, mm -hmm. may I just ask you, would you, uh, I know you are re really into reading books, and every week I listen to you when you have got the highlights of the book that you have read mm -hmm. and make your recommendations and all that. That was very interesting. But um, are there any books or is there any specific book that you can recommend that uh, it would be helpful to somebody like me by any chance please. sure i mean so you know this is not about um parents going through divorce there are some books on that i don't know a good one but one that comes to my mind because of what i was just saying uh, it's called parenting from the inside out by daniel siegel and the reason why i'm saying that could be related to what we were just saying is that it, it's recognizing our own issues and how the better we're mindful and understanding of that, the less we can allow it to impact our kids in a way. So you might find that interesting in seeing some of those insights. As you're saying, you're aware of, thankfully, 
the anger your father had and how that has affected you and how that's become your learned way of dealing with feelings or when things get out of control or go away you don't like. So that's good, but you can probably go a little bit deeper with that. So that would be a book, I think it's actually a good parenting book in general for anyone, but might be more relevant to you. It's Parenting from the Inside Out by Daniel Siegel. Daniel Siegel. Seagull, like yes. Yeah. <laughs> it, it sounds it sounds like the bird. Yeah, it's a, a same sound, but it's S I E G E L, I believe. Okay, fabulous. Thank yeah. you ever so much. I really appreciate My pleasure. your time. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And Likewise. I have to say, I've been a big fan of your dad for years, and Uh-oh. now you're a fan. <laughs> so you're oh, well, uh, we're, well, we're happy as a family to have you as a fan. Thank you so much for the support. Wish you all the best and the best to your nine-year-old in this whole process. Thank you ever so much. All right. Take have care. Have a good one. Goodbye. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Going into our last commercial break, we'll be right back. Welcome back. Um, so in the previous segment, I was talking to uh, a caller about um, their divorce and what they were going through. And so I wanted to share some thoughts about that and that process. Uh, divorce is, of course, a very challenging thing for anyone to go through, any family to go through, even if it is the right choice. So we have to be ready for that, that even when we are choosing divorce, usually it means we think it's the lesser of two evils or the thing that's not as bad as the alternative of staying in the marriage. And it's something that we have to take very seriously, that even if it's the right choice, the right choice doesn't mean it's easy, or doesn't mean it's going to be simple, or doesn't mean that your kids are not going to be upset at you or mad at you. Uh, a lot of times I've worked with families that they say from at a young age, we asked our kids if they wanted us to get divorced, and they said no, so we didn't get divorced. Now, I'm not advocating divorce as an people should get divorced. Um, But what I'm saying is that you want to make sure you don't think that a child can be the one to make that decision completely when it comes to something as serious as a divorce, especially when almost always a child or children are going to say no to divorce. I have seen it in some cases when a marriage is really, really bad and the children maybe are a little older and can see how bad it is. But usually because of how scary it is and sad it is for children, they're going to say no to divorce. And we can understand that. They don't know. Does that mean I lose my mom? Does that mean I lose my mom and dad? Of course, they are losing something. They're losing that family and that structure that they had. Dealing with all the changes is scary and sad and a lot for them to deal with. So we can understand that. But really, divorce is a decision that the parents need to make together. And related to the kids, a very common statement that people make when it comes to divorces they say we stayed together for the kids which uh, usually is used as an excuse to not go through the process of divorce because it it's scary for the parents as well or challenging or has issues about it that they don't want to face so they say it's for the kids and so what i always tell families is don't just stay together for the kids work together on the marriage for the kids So it's not enough to just say, well, the marriage is going really bad, but we think divorce is going to be hurtful, so we're just going to stay in this marriage. You can make that decision to stay in the marriage with the decision also to work hard and do everything you can to make the marriage better. 
So it's not really just such a binary choice of either divorce, not divorce. But if you decide not to get divorced, it also has the element of what now? What are we going to do now to improve this marriage to make it better? Obviously, if you are considering divorce, that means that there are some big problems and issues which are affecting the marriage and definitely affecting the kids as well. So if it's having an impact on the kids, we want to do something about that. So we don't want to just stay together and continue to have our kids suffer in whatever we're creating. We want to stay together and work to reduce that suffering to make things better for us and for the whole family and for the the well-being of the children as well. So we don't want to get caught up into this binary decision of stay together or divorce. Um, Yes, if you get divorced, that side might be more clear. Of course, a lot of things you can do there. But stay together shouldn't just mean continue with business as usual. It should mean stay together and work very, very hard to make things better in this marriage going forward. So we don't want to make that decision so easy for us that we're staying together. And related to that, a lot of times parents will say, you know, our marriage is not good, but it doesn't affect the kids. We're very good at hiding the fights and the disagreements from them. And I definitely think it's a good idea to make sure you don't have big arguments and disagreements in front of the children. That would be very hurtful and even traumatic to them. That is important. But you would be fooling yourself to think that if you're in an unhappy marriage, it has no effect on the kids. As I often tell parents, there is hot bad and cold bad. Hot bad in a marriage means there's fighting and yelling and that kind of toxicity that the kids are being exposed to, which is very hurtful and negative. But there's also cold bad, meaning that when uh, two partners, two parents are not in love or not loving towards each other, the kids feel that absence of love or that coldness as well. In a way, we could think of that coldness as creating a temperature in the home. It feels cold in that home. It feels loveless. It doesn't feel safe and good and warm and fuzzy emotionally because there is that lack of love. I've worked with people as adults or teenagers and they say, I went to my friend's house and saw Uh, My friends' parents like kiss each other on the cheek and I was just blown away because I never saw something like that in my home. I never saw that kind of love and affection in my house. It it felt foreign to see two people express that, that it actually happens in real life. I thought maybe it's just in the TV shows and the movies. So your kids are going to feel that absence of love too. Don't think you are fooling them that just by avoiding conflict and avoiding bad fights, they are somehow okay or nothing negative is happening. There's bad things that can happen that we experience that are positive, as in uh, positive that we see something that doesn't exist um, normally. Let's say like fights, that's a positive bad. And then there's negative bad, like a lack of love. So we don't want to fool ourselves into thinking a loveless marriage has no impact on the kids. And then if you do decide to get a divorce, it's very hard to not become adversarial with your X or soon to be X. Even the court system in countries like the United States, it makes it very adversarial, or for most people, it becomes you versus each other. You are trying to win in this battle, in this war. But unfortunately, what we see is that when we create a war, as I was saying with the previous caller very briefly, uh, you might think you're shooting at your ex partner across the field, but actually, your kids are in between you and them. And they are taking the bullets. They are taking the majority of the wounds and the pain and the hurt 
that's going on in this war. You can't hurt your ex without hurting your kids in the process. And so you have to ask yourself, what am I doing here and who am I doing it for? Of course, you're responsible to yourself to make sure you're okay to take care of yourself and we can't neglect that. But your priority must be your kids, especially your priority must be my kids doing well, surviving more than me winning against my ex-partner. It's very easy to get pulled into that type of battle just because of the adversarial system we have in the courts, but also because people think that's what they're supposed to do. So the other partner might send the first shots. You might say, I didn't start this, but once my ex-husband or ex-wife started to send these shots at me, I had to fire back. And yes, at some level, we have to take care of ourselves and defend ourselves, but we have to be aware of what kind of effect those shots are having on our kids. So very commonly, unfortunately, they'll say, you know, when they go to their mom's house, she says all these bad things about me. So when they come to me, I say all these bad things about their mom and their family and, and all that because I'm trying to make it even. I want them to know I'm not the bad guy and my family is not the bad people, that they are actually the bad people. But this is exactly what I mean by you're firing these shots thinking it's at your ex, but you're actually sending them through your kids to get to your ex. They're the ones that are taking that uh, majority of that negative impact and being hurt by it. So as hard as it can be, we want to take that higher road. If your ex is saying mean things or negative things about you to realize that's just hurting your kid. If your child is given some poison, do you think giving them more poison is going to help them because you think it's a different kind of poison or a poison that you like, you're still giving them poison. You're still, hurting them. And I've seen it time and time again, that when kids become older, you ask them about divorce they went through, and they might say, you know, when I was younger, I remember my mom or my dad would always say these negative things. And the other person would not say negative things. So I thought, yeah, you know, my mom is right to say these bad things about my dad or vice versa. But then when I got older, I realized that the partner or the parent that wasn't saying those negative things, it wasn't because they had nothing to say and they were the bad guy. They were actually the hero. They were the good one who was trying to take care of me and didn't want to say negative things about my mom or my dad and the family because they knew that would hurt me. They knew that my mom or my dad is 50% of who I am genetically and their family is still people that I'm close to by saying mean things and negative things. How can that be helpful? So they actually realized the good in that parent that didn't say anything bad. So when we get caught into a war, we can get caught up in the most recent battle and winning that battle. Oh, you said something mean, watch me see something even more mean that will prove that I'm good and you're bad. But we lose sight of the bigger battle, which isn't even a battle or a war, but it's in nurturing and loving your kids and taking care of them. Your responsibility isn't to win against your ex, it's to win as a parent and being the best parent you can be. You want to show your kids you love them by the actions you take and sometimes the actions you don't take. Not engaging in things that you know will hurt them, even if in the moment it makes you look worse or makes you look like the bad guy, makes you look like your partner was the good one and you're the bad one. But if you realize that your goal is to make sure your kids get the love they receive rather than you winning, you can make that choice as hard as it might be in that moment to resist. As powerful as it might make you feel your ex is becoming, 
in the reality of it, even if you lose in that way, it's probably better for your kids. If they got a little bit less poison, they're going to be doing better off than if you gave them some more poison, maybe one in this battle in this way. So divorce is always going to be hard, even when it is the right choice. That doesn't mean it's going to make it easy. And that doesn't mean your kids won't be upset or hurt by what's going on. Sometimes parents think, well, it was the right thing to do. So why are they mad? Well, even if it's the right thing to do, but it's hard, uh, it's still going to be painful for them. It doesn't take that away just because it's right. But your role as a parent is to make it the least harmful as it can be. Hopefully you have a partner who will recognize that and together you will still co-parent to minimize the harm done to your children, but sometimes you don't have that. And it's up to you to make sure at least you give the minimal harm you can to your kids to make sure they get affected the least by the divorce and least possible way. So divorce is going to be tough. Anyone who's going through it, I understand it's challenging, but we want to do our best to make it the least impactful and the most positive it can be for our kids. That brings us to the end of today's show. As always, thank you to Ghazaleh, who's in the studio, making sure I can do this show on Wednesdays. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fahid Alakwi. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.